Hi, and welcome to the Walk Podcast. I'm Lena Rowland, Head of Content for Walk Strategy. It's day five of the daily podcast here at Cannes, and it's day five of the festival. What a week it has been. It's been incredible. The Creative Impact Programme, co-curated by Walk and Lions, has brought the best of marketing effectiveness to the Quasette. Later on this podcast, we'll be joined by David Tiltman, SVP of Content at Walk. David's going to pick out some of the highlights from the week. He's also going to reveal some new research about the the strength of brand in digital e-commerce platforms. We're also going to be joined by Walk's Anna Hamill. Anna's Senior Editor for Brands, and Anna's been interviewing CMOs all week and she's going to tell us what she's hearing from 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 those guys and what's what's concerning them and uh, but first up I'm delighted to be joined by Joyce Kagarthi. Joyce is head of strategy content and, me- and media at Havas Africa. Joyce welcome to the walk podcast it's great to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. So it's it's day five. We've made it. How how has it been? How's your week been? Intense. <laughs> Let me just say first intense, but also very inspiring. And to be honest, this is one of those moments that you look forward to for the whole year or for a couple of years if you haven't managed to make it. So it's it's been really good. Yeah. Yeah. And intense is the word because you have been judging the Creative Strategy Awards, right? And yes. <laughs> I think there was like 774 entries and yeah. I think 24 um, campaigns took home some metal. So you've spent a lot of time in the judging room. Yeah. Um, what was that like? Uh, tell me what what what's your takeouts from in terms of the quality of the work? Yeah, so it was intense and um, I think there has been such a growth in terms of the entries. I think um, when we started the process, they said um, expect about 300 entries and then it came down to 770. So that that's that was huge growth and that's a lot. Um, and also just coming into the jury room, you do find a difference in terms of um, like when you're judging at home and when you're judging in the jury room. Um, but in terms of also the quality of work, it's really, I would say, grown as well. Um, but also in terms of, um, and I think I had this discussion in terms of the shifts that we've seen in the work. Um, like, for example, shifts from like looking at global issues from sustainability to more of a hyper-local approach to the way that brands view um like the different issues that consumers are facing. Um, so that would like cost of living crisis and, and exactly. issues like that, sure. Yeah, so cost of living, but also in terms of like the insights, like um, I care about sustainability, but how can I make that very, very, very local? Local to me. Yeah. So that makes it more relevant, I guess. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So brands are doing a lot more work in terms of trying to understand their consumers. Um, and you could see it in the quality of the work. So that was really good to see. And actually, Joyce, what what were the judges looking for, particularly for the creative strategy category? Yeah. Um, I think we just boiled it down to about three things. So authenticity of the insight um, and uh, 
when I say authenticity, because we sometimes see a lot of the work that comes from, I have a great idea. So how do I tie it in into my brand, which shouldn't be the case. You start from the other way around. This is my consumer. This is what they're facing now. This is what will make a difference in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also in terms of when you say also the idea itself, the purity of it, um, not an opportunistic idea because we did see some of those. And it was very clear from that very onset. And of course, just the interpretation of how you take those insights and you take your idea, how you interpret it, how you implement it. So it was those things. Um, and and the impact. And the impact. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, because you want an idea that can transform a business. Uh, and sometimes, and I think you could see even from um, the Grand Prix, it was an idea and it was um, a strategy that could uh, just move from one country and easily be implemented globally. And that was for Renault, right? Yes. It was for the, the plug-in for electric vehicles. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more, more about that campaign and what was it that kind of you know made it stand out from the rest? Yeah. Um, so I think when a lot of people think about creativity, they think about creativity in terms of does it move you? Is it like so powerful when I say it, I immediately get struck by it. But why this one is because, yes, there was a really great insight uh, in terms of the audience, uh, for the audience, in terms of people are not buying EVs just because they can't get the infrastructure, the, the charging stations, they're not as many. And I think this is a global issue. It's not just an issue in France. So mm-hmm. you could see uh, in terms of like where the insight was coming from. Um, and what they did is they knew that a lot of people had um, the charging, the chargers, EV chargers at home uh, because they bought them just so that at least it would make it easier for them to charge their EVs. And this was across France, even in the most rural areas of France. So they created an app, sort of like an Airbnb for chargers. Um, and in that way, it wasn't just a, a way to build infrastructure, um, but also a way to also put money into consumers' hands, mm. which was really great, yeah. honestly. Um, and as I said before about transforming a business and also scaling it, mm. the impact of that when you think about it, I can move that idea from here to New Zealand in an instant. I just need to be able to scale that up, yeah. the up to yeah. New Zealand, you know, and it makes, um, and as I said, it's when we were talking about the insights in terms of uh, sustainability or um, other global issues and making them local um, is that, I mean, you, you we've seen that this is a global issue. It's about sustainability. But how do you take that and build a local solution into it, but also a, a local solution that can be able to scale globally? Yeah. So that is why it won. Yeah. yeah. Well, congratulations to those guys. Great work. Absolutely. Um, how important is it, Joyce, to have diversity in the jewellery room? It is absolutely necessary because our issues are not global. Um And again, as I said, um, and I think we spoke about this earlier, what we saw is a shift, a very big shift from the way uh, brands are are reaching and also speaking to their consumers from looking at just global issues as like as we were talking about, we didn't see the theme of sustainability being as big as it was before. We're seeing brands focusing more on very local 
issues because as we say there's a crisis everywhere mm -hmm. i mean consumers are going just through so much mm -hmm. so you have to really sort out their problems from like a personal perspective but also from a very local perspective before then now you scale upwards to yeah. the global issues yeah uh what are we talking about diversity <laughs> sorry i went off script there for a minute so diversity because um i'll say for first world developed nations the issues are very different from the developing nations issues mm -hmm. um and when you sit in the jury room in as much as when you're writing your case um there is um a part about providing your cultural aspect sometimes you need to give a more like you need to explain it to other people if they don't understand because they might not understand um some of the issues like for for example in north america and someone in north america might not understand the issues facing africa for them they might be non issues so having that diversity is really really important because yeah. also remember um in as much as it our work is judges to look at the work and really dive really deep into that work I might not always have the time to go further and always research everything, you know. Mm -hmm. So having that diversity really gives the work like a broader perspective. Yeah. And also now as we're seeing more entries and we've seen people from all over the world winning more and more and more. And uh we've seen work from places like Nigeria, from Thailand, from Honduras. I think this year Latin America has won big. Yeah. And I can say that having that diversity starts you start seeing i mean the diversity in the work as well and i yeah. think that's a very beautiful thing yeah yeah for sure you know yesterday we held a debate here in the palais it was really well attended um it was it was our debate the annual future strategy debate yeah. um where we asked the question is popular culture dead and if if it is how do we respond mm -hmm. so look we know it's not dead. Yeah. Uh, we had Dr. Marcus Collins, um, uh, who was awesome, and Ellie Bamford from uh, Wyden and Ken from, and Ellie Bamford from Wonderman Thompson, yeah. uh, talking about this and debating this. Uh, so Ma uh, Marcus took us through um, how culture has transformed and how it's evolved, and looked at where we've come from, where we are now, and where we might be heading. And Ellie did a really good job of outlining the media landscape and how streaming has kind of had a huge transformation on media fragmentation and audience splintering, yeah. um, which is really interesting. And then we're looking at the rise of niche communities and what all this means for the future of strategy. So I mm. just wanted to get your point of view on um, the rise of niche and, and where we might be heading. Yeah, so um, I think the rise of niche is a very good thing, you know. Um, and the reason is because also for like media and um, advertisers, we have to really dig deeper to mm. dig deeper into real insights and to really reach consumers. Um, and I like the, the evolution of targeting as well because we've, we've stopped looking as consumers as just demographics, you know. Mm. We've stopped looking at just age, income, all those things. And now we're really looking into culture because culture has the potential to tie in um, like all these audiences together. Um, as we're talking about like um, properties such as the World Cup or the Super Bowl, when you look at the audiences within that, that's very diverse. I mean, but one, I mean, one passion point brings them all together. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we, 
as advertisers, as brands, as media, we're working so much harder to be able to reach these consumers um, and tying in like really, really good, authentic insights to be able to reach our consumers. And that means when it becomes more personalized and I feel that you as a brand really, really understand what I need and, and, and what I'm looking for, then I think we also have better results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we've got these. There's still the opportunity for the big moments, as you say, World yeah. Cup, uh, yeah. sponsorship moments, yeah. Super Bowl, uh, Eurovision. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we can also reach people through the, as Marcus was saying, actually mm-hmm. through communities that are representing our identity. Exactly. And and are almost tribal. We're entering the tribal era. Exactly. You know, and and. Uh, reaching people through their passion points, which is really interesting. Absolutely. And maybe I'd, I'd like to mention in terms of that very deep understanding of niche. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it really came out in the work this year. Mm. Um, and I'll point out two, two campaigns that really sh- uh, showed how you can be able to really, just by that deep understanding, do something so simple but really brings your audience together. Um, so there was two campaigns. So Popeye's um, Chicken Wars and also Wendy's. Um, so they were reaching the black community in the United States. And I think for Popeye's, just because of that really deep understanding of who their consumer were, and they, I think they had done their work in terms of uh, bringing in black Twitter and really understanding what black Twitter likes is they just sent out a tweet, uh, which was just three words. And it said a really huge like um, revolution that was really powerful. Or Wendy's just by understanding the brand voice was able to transform itself from an aging brand into something mm. really fresh and really which consumers love and really look forward to, you know. So that's that's that, that's really powerful. I love that. I think that's yeah. a really good message to end on because in a world that's dominated increasingly by technology and so yeah. dominated by algorithms, mm. as marketers, it's important to remember that actually behind that algorithm, we're all humans. So you're, you're actually Absolutely. marketing to humans. Yeah. And in as much as AI will tell you so much about a person in terms of their interests and everything, the real insights and the real insights that really change things for marketing are just based on understanding the human form, the human mind, the human heart, how humans really are. And you can't, AI can't do that. So let's remember that. Brilliant. Yeah. Joyce, thank you so much. Thank you so much as well. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. My next guest in the studio is Anna Hamill-Walk, Senior Editor for Brands. Welcome, Anna. Good morning. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, Anna, you've been out and about, very busy interviewing a vast range of CMOs. So what what are you hearing? What's keeping them up at night? What are the key key themes? Well, there's been a few key themes emerging from this week, and there's a couple I want to talk about in particular. And one of those is opportunities in the creator economy. Uh, so this week, brands have been talking a lot about how the creator economy and the influencer space is evolving. And we're seeing marketers now working with creators in a much more structured way uh, in longer term partnerships. So that's been a bit of a change. So it's no longer about a single Instagram post or a TikTok. It's about brands aligning their brands with fandoms. And fandoms is a really exciting new, well, not so new, but a new priority uh, for these marketers and connecting with them. That's interesting because that's that's sort of um, touching into people's passion points. 
Yes, that's right. So be it cooking, cars, beauty, sports, and hundreds, thousands of other things. We're seeing the definition of influence evolve and this market mature in a very real way. And so creators play a huge role in connecting brands with not only the fans of the creator, but also more content around a specific interest or community of fans. And brands see that as a real opportunity to get more um, meaningful engagement from consumers into their products and categories. Well, obviously, this is something we've covered a lot at Walk. We had the recent Walk guide to, to working with creators, didn't we? Yes, we did. So if this is an area in which your brand or agency is looking to get more information, subscribers can access that on Walk right now. We have a lot of in-depth information around how to work with creators. So that sounds like a really exciting opportunity going forward for the industry and one that we will watch with interest. Okay, and what's what's the next theme that you've been hearing about? So um, I put here diversity gets real, and right. I think that that is a really good summary of conversations around diversity, equity, and inclusion this week. So obviously there's been a lot of chat, maybe good and bad, about the role of diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, over the last few months uh, in marketing for brands, and I think that it's really easy to get caught up thinking that the backlash against Bud Light, for example, or Target for using a trans influencer or Pride Month's displays in stores and think that there isn't space for this work and that now brands need to pull back. And some people, they want it to be that way. That's the that's what they're trying to achieve with boycotts. But a CMO that I heard this week was very clear in saying, uh, and this is a quote, make no mistake that diversity is under attack. And, you know, maybe some brands will pull back a bit as a, as a result of what has happened with those other brands. Um, but I've been encouraged to see actually just how much progress has been made with diversity, equity, inclusion over the last few years and to see big advertisers putting their money where their mouth is on this topic and that's both in terms of authentic representation in the advertising but also and arguably just as crucially across the marketing supply chain behind the scenes and that's been an area where there's been some really big moves made and we're now starting to see the positive impact of those changes down the line. Um, so right. for a company like Diageo, for example, the drinks company, that means that now nearly 50% of their commercials are directed or produced by women. And that's up from single figure percentages just a few years ago. So that's a major change. That's a really positive story. I know Diageo and many other brands are really, you know, moving the dial in this space. So yeah, and, and it's and it's not just uh, about gender. Uh, we've heard yeah. examples this week of agencies developing inclusion teams uh, in response to client demands for help with disability and neurodiversity inclusion in their work. For sure. And we've seen huge competing CPG brands actually working together on, for example, uh, plastics pollution or open sourcing their green innovations for the whole industry to be able to use, including their competitors. So this stuff is happening and it's not going anywhere despite some of the narratives around what you're hearing at the moment and so you know we know the job is never going to be done there's always going to be more that brands in that industry can be doing um, but there is progress happening that can't be overlooked and that is going to keep continuing uh, in the years to come great great and so Anna what's the third trend that you've been hearing from CMOs well, and I think I think this is a very important immediate challenge that perhaps hasn't been talked about enough this week. And, uh, you know, 
we've been to a lot of, of sessions this week across our team about artificial intelligence. A lot. Yeah. a lot about big data. And, you know, that stuff is really important. But sometimes you would walk out of a session about that and you'd open up a news app on your phone mm. and then you would see stories about a mortgage crisis, you know, embedded inflation and some frankly really alarming numbers about the economic catastrophe facing some consumers as a result of those things. And a recent study from the UK market in particular said that as a result of the mortgage crisis, Crisis, for example, in that market, discretionary uh, discretionary spend may go down up to 20% for some segments of consumers. And that's an enormous amount. And so that is going to have an absolutely massive, I can't mm. understate this enough, um, uh, overstate this enough rather, impact on how they interact with brands and their consumer shopping habits. And that was something that J.P. Caslin and James Hankins noted on the walk stage yesterday. And, you know, even if CMOs want to avoid that particular elephant in the room <laughs> uh, amid all of the other things we've been excite, uh, to, excited to talk about this week, um, JP and James noted that with every line of expenditure now under scrutiny as a mm. result of the macro situation, marketers are really going to have to prove their value in new ways. They're going to have to step up insights and intelligence, innovation. They're going to have to make friends with finance. And that's been something that we've had on the walk stage this week as well, is how do you make friends with the exactly. finance department? And they're going to have to really think about streamlining their goals to really be focused and think about their priorities. So perhaps the elephant in the room or on the beach this week uh, across Cannes has been the economy. But in my view, I think that's going to be a really big immediate challenge that brands are going to have to think about as well. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think consumers all over the world are facing a lot of economic uncertainty and obviously marketers are going to have to respond to that in, in different ways. So Yeah. And, you know, the cost of living crisis is something that's been happening in a lot of markets. Yeah. And we're seeing that, that that is not going to go away. But the good news is, is that uh, walk.com subscribers can access our um, content hub of content about the economic upheaval. We've been covering this issue in depth for over a year now. We have. And uh, we have best practice case studies, advice, insights, uh, well over 100 articles now. So yep. we will not be leaving that topic alone for sure. Great. Listen, Anna, thanks so much for your time and go and have a well-deserved break kick back relax <laughs> thank you it's been a fantastic week and it's been great to see the energy uh, across the festival and so many marketers and agencies showing real optimism about the future which is exciting to see thank you Anna thank you Hello, my final guest for the week is David Tiltman, SVP content here at Walk. David, we have made it. It's day five. We've made it. I'm not sure my voice has quite made it, but <laughs> we've we've made it, yes. So look, let's get right into it. So much has happened this week. What has been the highlight for you? I mean, yesterday we had a packed session. The, we really did. The we really did. Strategies constipated. Yeah, I so okay. I'm going to try and explain what this session was. I'm I'm probably not going to do, do it justice, but we have got the the actual speakers to help us. Great, uh, we've got some audio clips from them. So this was Rob Campbell from Colenso, uh, Martin Weigel from uh, AMV BBDO, X Wyden, and Paula Bloodworth from Uncommon. Uh, these are three really big name strategists. You know, they're they're very well regarded across the strategy world. And they've got a specific point of view, which is that, well, strategy is constipated. What they mean by that is that um, not just strategists, but everyone who works around planning, uh, marketing and advertising um, 
is is honing in on a certain set of models and best practice ideas, and you know we all know what they are. So they didn't, didn't name name and shame, but you know we're talking things like mental availability, long mm-hmm. and short, those sorts yeah. of things. These are great tools. But their point of view is that the tool we're coming so obsessed with these tools and these frameworks that we're missing opportunities for breakthrough growth that that we're we're becoming focused on incremental change rather than breakthrough step change it's bland it's sameness and that's a danger that's a danger everything starts to look the same yeah. in the world of bland. exactly um now as i say we've got some audio clips from the speakers themselves so we'll start with uh martin and then hear from paula and i, I before we play it uh i just want to sort of give a shout out to martin because he is a wordsmith, right? You you know it, you could see even anyone anyone who reads his things will know this, but everybody in that audience and it was a packed room hung on his every word. And he's not he's not like the loudest of voices, no, he's not. but uh, but every single word mattered. So let's hear from Martin, and then we'll hear from Paula. I think we are in danger, or or have in some quarters, forgotten how strategy works. I think we've been suckered into thinking that it works forwards, incrementally building, you know, accumulating evidence and turning it into insight and putting it into the creative process. And blah, 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 blah. I think I think most people, a lot of too many of us, labour under the belief that that's how strategy works, that it's a, it's a fluffing service to other people's imaginations or you know, it's a supplier of disposable insight. When it, it doesn't work for us, and Stephen King in 1975 fucking wrote about that, it, it works from the future back. It goes, where do I want to be? What's the more desirable future I want to create? And then goes, and how do I make that real? It doesn't work forwards. It works. It works backwards. If you work forwards, you'll only find yourself pushing the peanut forwards and you'll solve, you'll solve small problems you'll never solve big problems and you'll never seize big opportunities because you'll only look in f- at what's directly in front of you or what the research says you have permission to do. The strategy is fundamentally works backwards. We need to look to other industries because, I mean, we came across a, a quote from Jesse Armstrong, who's the writer of Succession and a number of other programmes, and he talked about going to the most exciting place possible and then working backwards from there. And I mean, Martin, Rob and I just got really excited about that thought that when you go to that exciting leap and then you figure out how to get there in that narrative, it gets the most exciting possible solutions. From Fenty to, you know, Gentle Monster and Eyewear brand out of South Korea to, you know, like Timpson's a key cutter in in the UK. Um, There's all these incredible stories where they're not just iterating and following logic and the perfect process that inches forwards. They're taking this massive leap and going to these surprising, interesting, exciting futures. And they're leapfrogging the logic process. They are leapfrogging everything we're doing because they're just going to where's possible and where is exciting. Great stuff. It was definitely a call to action to just embed more imagination into your strategy. That message came across loud and clear. Yeah, it was the one phrase Martin used a few times was strategy is revolution. 
and and you know i love that and you can yeah. see the crowd the crowd really embraced it but there was a practical element they didn't want to just sort of beat us all up and and um or give us a few examples what they they did was come up with three ideas for uh actually trying to start to you know respond to you know and what can strategies start to do a little bit differently um and we can hear rob campbell talk Great. about three takeaways from that from that talk so the three things that we we're saying is one you know, if you absolutely don't know where to start, start with the people that absolutely live in the subcultures around your category, because they naturally are finding, uh, using their imagination to push the boundaries of that. You just have to look at how um, street cultures influence the high luxury fashion to see see that side. Um, the other side of that is, um, you know, prepared to sacrifice, but we don't mean it in the classic strategy sense. We mean it in sacrifice control. Um, there's a great video where, uh, Rick Rubin says to Jay-Z around 99 Problems, why don't you just sing the intro a cappella? And that sounds really small, but actually that's what made that song. And Jay-Z's brilliance wasn't just the ability to hear the music, going, here's something that, you know, wants to make it better and has made it better. And so, you know, prepare to relinquish control for the, the greater good. And the third one is, and this is for the industry and the clients, is kill the toxic positivity. Um, this need to always fit in with stuff rather than really tell the truth. We use a quote from uh, The Big Short, and it says, truth is like poetry, and everyone fucking hates poetry. And, um, I mean, the basic premise for us is strategy is a discipline that's really valued, and ironically, we're more revered than we've probably ever been. But maybe we need to have to work harder for it to get to the best ideas, and it's not proprietary systems. It's using the rigour of imagination to get to the most exciting place and start there rather than just hope that one day you might get there. Great stuff. So, David... Let's move on. There are still some of our sessions are, going on today. Still going on the Friday. So, We're not finished. <laughs> what are you hearing this morning? What's going on down there? Uh, so I just want to flag one session from this morning because it's a great new piece of research. Uh, we don't have time on to go go all the ins and outs, but there is a write up already available on Walk, and this will be um, this will be uh, one of the videos we share on Walk uh, in a week or so's time. Now it's a new piece of research. So it was a, it was a session on. Uh, building brands for a new economy. We had Nancy King, who's VP Marketing at Airbnb, talking about um, you know the well-publicized shift in investment profile that that they've conducted yeah. towards away from performance marketing into brand building. Yeah. That in itself was very interesting and is worth uh, catching. Um, the 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 research I'm referencing comes from uh, James Herman, who many people will know, founder previously unavailable, also founder of Tracksuit. Um, ourselves, uh, so Amin Amrini, mm-hmm. uh, our colleague, uh, was presenting uh, um, for us, and also from a company called Perpetua, that's a sister company of ours within Essential that, that sort of tracks um, commerce, uh, digital commerce sales in, in platforms like uh, Amazon, and, and also lots of marketing benchmarks as well within within uh, those things. And the question they set out to answer was basically. Do uh, strongly branded products have an advantage in terms of performance metrics mm-hmm. within Amazon? And they propose this new metric called growth efficiency within a market like Amazon or a marketplace like Amazon, where uh, if you're going to spend additional money, invest more money into the sort of performance types of marketing on those platforms, um, what sort of what sort of sort of re- 
uh, increase in sales can you expect to see? And uh, can you and, and what they what they found is across a an analysis of a hundred or so brands, um, the average was about eighty percent. So what that means is if you increase uh, your your spend by ten percent on average, your sales will go up by eight percent. Right, gotcha. Um, but there's a big variance within that. Mm. And one of the drivers of that variance is the level of awareness that brand already has. Um, so highly uh, brands with high awareness are more likely to drive highly efficient growth from performance marketing. Um, brands with low awareness yeah. don't. So, yeah. um, look, there's a lot more in that research and I would encourage people to, to dig into it because it's quite hard to sort of explain. Yeah, it charts. sounds it, yeah. Um, but ultimately what they're trying to do is bring this this sort of world of brand and performance back together. Yeah. And uh, it's a really important message in that, um, in that, there is value in creative, you know, creativity driving stronger brand, uh, like brand health. Yeah. That then plays out in the efficiency you're able to drive within a highly performance driven uh, marketplace like, like Amazon. Yeah. Virtuous circle, I guess. Yeah. 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 I and mean, it's a great. It, and it, it's, it's a, so um, there was a lot of interest, a lot of cameras going up when the, the, oh, the, that's the always good the to see. That's always the, the benchmark. Yeah, it? the killer chart. We love that. Um, David, I'm conscious of time. Mm. So I know it's going to be hard, but any other highlights from this week? Well, I guess I just rather than rather than individual highlights, I guess just, look, this is the first time we've run Creative Impact as a track. And our hunch, I mean, it was an informed hunch, but our hunch was that there was a real appetite for more uh, content that really looked at this link between creativity and effectiveness, not just proving, not just making the case for creativity, uh, because that's been done lots of times. We still need to keep making that case, but actually we need to ask more interesting questions. Mm. What types of creativity? How does creativity and media combine? What about uh, creativity and on platform, on the this emerging yeah. platform economy. So we thought there was a real desire for more content that they would explore these topics and explore them in some depth. Yeah. And that's what we've done over the course of this week. And I've got to say the crowds have uh, have been great. They've been we've amazing. Had, we've, we've had we've had lots of amazing sessions, amazing content. So it's really it's really been a big success. Uh, and I hope uh, people who haven't been in Cannes have enjoyed hearing about it on this podcast and will watch, be able to watch some of the videos when they go on to walk and or, you know, all our coverage as well. There is a but, though. There is a but. So okay. uh, there was a sort of mic drop moment in the Galloway session. Something we've heard him say this before, but this whole thing about the era of brand being over Essentially, he's arguing that marketing is no longer an aspirational career that essentially encouraged the entire audience to go and find another job. <laughs> um, and, you know, we don't agree with that. You know, we like I don't buy into that as a as a as a concept. But I think we as an industry need a response to that. Mm. And we've made a start here this week for sure. But I think we need to be able to to have a counter to that. And I don't know if we fully do at the moment. I think we still feel quite defensive. Mm. Uh, so he, he he says that everyone cheers because it's Scott Galloway. Yeah. But then everyone came out of it going, hmm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> how, do we, how do we disprove that? How do we, uh, how do we, yes, how do we counter it? So... That for me is the takeaway. I want I want us to be able to 
you know, use what we've learned this week and, and what we continue to explore to to say no, actually? I mean, I do wonder how much of that was a headline grabber for, for Galloway. Oh, well, of course. I you mean, know? You know, he so knows. maybe we don't want to go too much into because we know that Brand isn't dead. Well, <laughs> right? no, no, of course we do. But but actually, you know, he's an influential person. And, is, and actually, yeah. if you've got people out there who are saying, you know, don't bother anymore, <laughs> then, then actually, well, uh, okay, we need a response. Yeah. So I think that, that for me is... Uh, it's been a great week, but you know we've got to be mindful of the the challenges that are being posed to us, and and be clear on how we counter them. Sounds great, David. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lena. Thank you, David. Thank you, Joyce, and thank you, Anna. It's been a real pleasure bringing you the marketing effectiveness insights throughout the week. And listen, while the corsette will quieten down, Walk is going to be busy pooling all the insights together. We're going to be revealing the Can Creative Impact Report published next Friday, the 30th of June. So please do look out for that. So that's enough from us. But listen, uh, we'll be back to resuming regular service next week. So um, make sure you don't miss another episode of the podcast by subscribing to the podcast on your favourite podcasting platform. For now... Thank you and thank you for listening.